You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Evan Roberts Podcast. This is going to be an emotional episode. This is the New York Mets 2019 Season in Review Podcast. Now, Here's who I've decided to bring in. Uh, Earlier this season, a good buddy of mine, Ryan McGee, who was on the podcast for the Hot Stove. He was on the preseason podcast. We call him Adam Eaton because his fantasy team name is Adam Eaton plus something else. Uh, He introduced me to this other guy named Phil who's with us today. And this became the New York Mets text chat chain throughout the season. So as the Mets were playing every big game, every brutal loss, The one constant in my life, well, I've got a few constants. I mean, I do have a wife and son. But one of the many constants in my life was that I would hear from both Ryan and Phil via the text chat. So I figured, let's bring the text chat on the podcast. So first, making his return to the Evan Roberts podcast. His fantasy team is Adam Eaton blank, and he got soundly defeated by me in the fantasy semifinals Ryan McGee. Welcome back, sir. Ev, thanks for having me back. Thank you. We had a hard-fought fantasy matchup, but clearly the better team won. Yeah, well, the only team that showed up won. That is, thank you very much. And this other guy is a guy that we call Fantasy Phil because he is a, a member of our fantasy league. He's helping one of the owners that has really struggled over the last couple of years, and that's Phil. I don't know your last name. Hey, Phil. How we doing, boys? Good. Glad to be here. Thank you for coming here. Uh, I think these guys are very good Met fans. We have been part of this uh, text chain throughout this just ridiculously weird 2019 season. And that's where I want to start because I always look at seasons and I try to compare them. And I find that this is one of those seasons that really doesn't have a comparable year. I mean, at times I thought it was like 2001 when they were awful most of the year, made that great comeback in September after 9-11 and then fell short. They had some brutal losses at the end of the year. But I think this team was different in that they became better much earlier than that 01 team. So I don't think it's them. I thought for a while maybe it's the 05 team. They won that big game against the Phillies in late August. The place was going nuts. They're in a wild card race. Then they completely collapsed, and September was actually meaningless, not meaningful. So is there a season that you can compare this one to? I'm, I'm with you. Not, not really. I mean, this team, every time we thought they were out of it, they, they kept themselves in it. So like you said, there was no giant collapse. Uh, they pretty much were consistently average, you know, pretty much most of the season. But it was weird because for the first two and a half months of the season, it felt as if it was following the same script as last year, especially when they fell to 11 games under that, okay, this season sucks. The summer's irrelevant. They're not going anywhere. So that was the the part that was weird because I think we all kind of accepted that this was just going to be a bad Met season, that there wasn't going to be a turnaround. And that turnaround felt weird and made the rest of the season so unique in that way. As far as I'm concerned, anything that happened prior to their, you know, really hot run just didn't happen. That wasn't part of that. That wasn't part of this. That's season. your attitude. That was not part of this season. As far as I'm concerned, there was two seasons within this one season. But well, it's interesting you say that because 
I was looking at how you break down this season, you know, from a wins and loss standpoint. And the way you break it down is that they did have, it was more than one season. They had numerous seasons all kind of jumbled into one, right? Because they had a part of the season where they began as an average team. Here's the breakdown. I'm going to give you the numbers. 32 and 33. They're an average team. That's through 65 games. That's how they started the year. Then they went 8 and 17. That was when things fell apart. They were swept by the Marlins. Like, it was just awful. And do the math. They're now 10 games under 500 or 11 games under 500. Then they have the run where they're unbelievable. They go 21 and 5. After that 25, 21 and 5 run, they're basically 500 the rest of the way until the last week and a half of the season where they finish strong. So if you bunch the season into these groupings, they really only had one horrible stretch and one really good stretch. And the rest of the season, they were an average team. That's what they were. Yeah, it makes sense. What do they always say? Like, every team's going to win 60. Every team's going to lose 60. It's what you do in those But that's why you can't forget the first two months of the season. Well, because the just, first two months of the year wrote the script on why they ended up being what they were. That's you just can't just select, ignore it. That's my selective uh, selective memory. That's what, never, I, that's what I choose to remember. You can never get better if you don't look back at the past. Think about that. Now, are you happy they got rid of the manager? Me? No. Uh, we've talked this. I, mean, I was probably maybe the only person advocating for, for Mickey. And I got. A, I was prepared for this question because I knew you were going to come you up with it. You had to prepare to answer this question? Mickey, listen, he had his flaws, right? We could debate. You know, managerial uh, strategically had his issues. Can't can't defend that. But team improved from year one to year two. And only the sixth manager in Mets history had a winning record of his tenure. Short sample size. Oh, my God. But That's he, what you came up with? But it's the truth. It's facts. It's the truth. Yeah, but you, you agree that sometimes facts don't tell the whole story, they right? Don't. You know, they don't. A hundred percent. But cool. to, give, to give him such a short leash when the team improved by ten games from year one to year two... It didn't make sense to me. If the team was the same as year one or regressed, I could understand more getting rid of them. But the fact that they, they got rid of them, I, I wasn't 100% on board Were with Were you that. in favor of getting rid of them, Phil? Now, I wouldn't say I'm a Mickey advocate. I was one who said, if someone can tell me that Joe Girardi is definitely coming here, then yeah, absolutely make the move. But if it was somebody that, who would also be a first-time manager or had some question marks, I would weigh pros and cons between Mickey and this new new candidate because i do put stock in the fact that the guys seem to like mickey oh my I, I i i'll <laughs> oh put i'll have a caveat uh caveat like with him. that they like him so do i think the Are guys you a Jet that, fan by the way no i'm a giants fan oh jesus all right i uh, was gonna say the jet players like todd Bowles. what the hell does oh, no, that mean no. but this is this is where i'll put a little asterisk okay with that. give me an asterisk while i think guys may like mickey the mickey the guy or mickey has our back they like that I do think that there is something to the fact that guys might not believe that he's making all the right calls and they can easily that detach matters. from that. Yes, that's what that's why I that's but, why I would say But they produced. The team produced. Whether they thought that or not, they won ten well, games I, more th- than the previous year. Th- that I mean that comes down to the players. The players have pride and they want to play and they want to win. At the same time, I think there's guys sitting in that dugout. I mean we've seen well, a lot sure. more we've seen a lot more Mets teams lose it and tone out the manager and go into spirals, this team didn't do that. There's so many incorrect things. Not incorrect. So many wrong things you guys are saying. I don't know where to start. All right? (laughs) Number one, let me start with you, Phil. All right? If you're making a decision based on who should be your manager and you're basing it on who is out there, you're making a mistake. You have to make the decision on, is this guy the right manager for the job? 
If your answer is yes, see, Ryan's answer is yes. While I think he's wrong, he's not saying, well, I don't like Joe Espada, so I may as well keep Mickey Calloway. That's not the right way to run a business. So I'm going to ask you this again. Forget about who's out there. I can't guarantee you Joe Girardi's going to get the job. I, I, we don't know. Forget who's out there. Should Mickey Calloway come back as manager of the team? Should he have come back? Obviously, he's gone. Should he have come back as manager of the team? Then I will say no. Okay. Okay. Then now, now you're thinking straight. But you can't base it on what's out there. You have to base it on, does he give the best the team the best chance to win? And with you, Ryan, look, the Mets got better. It's all fact-based. I'm not going to disagree with the facts that you laid out. What I would disagree with, and I think this is going to be interesting, and we can do this exercise, and that's, were there games he blew? Sure. Okay, how were many? Were games where, I, I don't know the number, but were there games that he made the right move and a guy like Edwin Diaz didn't perform that cost him a loss? I agree. I'm not but even. It goes, it goes both ways. Okay, but like I'll give you a great example: the Dodger game, right? The game that they blew in L.A. Game uh, three like of that. Three series. of them that they blew in that <laughs> no, game. That's fair. The Edwin Diaz implosion game. Is, does that ring a bell yet? We oh yeah. That one? Oh yeah. Three okay. in the ninth, I think, something like that. It was the quickest four-run ninth inning that you would ever see in your whole your whole life. I guess the good news is we're all up at one o'clock in the morning. Put us out of our misery. I don't blame Mickey for that game. So I agree with you. I'm not looking at any game they blew and say that's Mickey's fault. But I will find – okay, I'll give you a specific game. You didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The Stephen Matz game. When he was in a rush to get Stephen Matz right? out of the game at whatever that pitch count was, but it was low. It was in the 70s, Correct. I believe, in, in Atlanta. Yes. 100%. Mickey wrong, blew that game. Wrong move. Okay. But, uh, but, but I just Lugos, show but you. Lugos does to do his job. I under, but you could say that about any move. That's why – a move can be bad. Look, I try to be fair about this. I, I try my best on the air to be fair about it, where I'll rip a move even if it works and say, hey, I didn't like the move, but God bless you, it worked. Or a move that didn't work. Hey, that move was stupid, but, man, it worked. I think that I think when a guy makes a move that you think is stupid and then it turns out to be stupid, you can't just make the excuse of, well, Lugo failed, so it wasn't the wrong move. No, it was the wrong move. Why is he taking him out of the game? And you know you felt that way many freaking times many, many about times. this guy. Many times. I, so I why guess, would you want him back? Because the team, as Phil mentioned, the team played well under him. They wanted to play. They showed up every day and battled. They improved by 10 games from the previous year. So as a first-time manager, there's going to be growing pains. That has to come with the with the un, expectation as a first-time manager is going to grow on the job. He's never managed before. So that's going to happen. So I'm on the understanding that, hey, he's going to make mistakes. Okay, but the that, team improved. To that point, do you feel late in the season where he's now got a year and a half under his belt and he's in a pennant race, did you ever feel Mickey Calloway improved as a manager? Some aspects. But some aspect? aspects he, he got struggled. the lineup right? He, got the, he, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't uh, bring the wrong lineup card. That, that, was, a, that was a bonus. Um, but once again, first, first everything, first pennant race, first, first everything. So you gotta, you got to give him some, some rope. At what point do you say, okay, rope's gone, I got to get rid of him? Like I mean, I said, how if they, if they, it would have been the status quo or they would have regressed and their record got worse, then I think yeah, there's but, a stronger case right, for it. Right. You're a smart baseball guy. Both of you guys played baseball. You know the game. You know the game on a level that a lot of us don't. You think he's a good manager? I, th I, I think the positives from what I see, the Mets every day show up, outweigh the negative. And, the, and you don't want to think of this way, but it outweighs the unknown. We don't know what's coming in See, next. See, that, that's not the answer, but, but it is. You have to – the organization has to get it right. And, and we could spend a few minutes on who they should hire, but they've got to get it right. The so one I, thing I will say, it, it's not Brody's guy. So that aspect of the business, I right. understand. It's Brody right. didn't hire him. So it's not his guy, so it's easy. There's no uh, emotional attachment to him from the front office standpoint. So that I get moving on. You want to get your guy in, your sure. philosophy, and moving on. I think from the product on the field – 
I would have I would have wrote it out with, with Mickey. That's just me. What I'll say is, while the team, yes, the team got better, he did not get better. Thank you. You flipped already, you, you, Phil. I love it. I, I, like I said, it was there's, but don't there's they go, a don't they go hand in hand. No, the, the, the team. No, they don't. Why who, would they go hand in hand? Who, who's Matt, who's running the ship? Who's managing what do you the mean ship? Who's Matt? The, the manager. These but guys the, are a lot of first-time guys Ryan, this year. You can, Someone had to direct them and help them out along the way. You can differentiate between a manager's in-game decisions and players performing at a level that they should. Look, he can't screw up Jacob DeGrom all the time. Jacob's great. He's one of the best pitchers well, the in baseball. Screws up Jacob, well, right? and the defense and the bullpen. <laughs> but I'm talking about strategic moves. I think you can look at a roster and look at a team and say – Hey, they're good. The manager's holding them back. I'll admit this, and, and this probably makes me look bad, but I don't really care because I want to be honest with you guys. I never thought Ned Yost was a good manager. And I always thought, boy, are the Royals going to be able to win a World Series with Ned Yost? They did. They got to back-to-back World Series. So I acknowledge that you can win despite not having a great manager. But I want to have the best manager I can. The Mets' margin of error isn't perfect. You can't make mistakes in the managerial decision-making as well as not having the best player. So, so going to that Ned Yost point, you think, honestly, you think if Mickey comes back n- next year, pretty much the same roster intact, they don't improve? They, well, what does the roster look like? Well, you're saying it's exactly well, the same? I mean, it's probably going to be majority the same. <laughs> well, that's a assume. problem on another level. <laughs> that, we could argue that. for That's for a later podcast. <laughs> right, right, right. But I, they're going to naturally they're going to grow. They're going to develop. Naturally, they're going to go. Naturally, he can't be worse. That's basically what you're saying. Naturally, he'll get better as manager. I just don't buy that. And also, while we're talking about the manager, I just want to say Jim Riggleman was the most useless guy that there was out there. (laughs) When when he came in, we thought, like, oh, you know, this guy's going to really teach Mickey, going to help him grow, going to be there in his ear to help him get through these games. They were both. They were both ridiculously bad. Uh, that's it. Cowboys should have gone. Okay. I'm completely flipped. That's All right. it. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. Boy, I like you already. I could just uh, You're like my little minion. I could just make you think whatever I want. We'll see how that goes as this goes on. Uh, w- here's my question, and it's a simple question, but I'm very curious about the answer. Was this a good season? Yes. Th- Unexpectedly this, good. This is a loaded question. It's very we, loaded. We, we've seen this, like, you know, on Twitter. People keep saying it all over the place. You see it. You hear it on all the talk shows, on TV, on Twitter, from this guy, from that guy. Overall, I'm going to say no. It was a disappointing season. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, let me ask you guys a question. Did you expect this team to be in a pennant race or a playoff contending race this season? That's a loaded question, too. Because but the answer is going to be no. <laughs> the answer is going to be no. The answer is going to be no. no, and, they, no, no. and they were. But, you know, th- then that goes to say that the run that we saw them go on and where they wound up, where play like that for the first three months of the season. Oh, you know baseball. That's not that's not baseball. It's But there's somewhere in between the way that they played to finish the season and, like, the atrocity that they were to, it, to start the it, season. If you have a young rebuilding team, okay, the 1995 Mets coming out of the strike, Jason Isringhausen making his debut, Pulsifer, Wilson – then you can have a good year in which you don't make the playoffs. This is a veteran team. Jacob DeGrom's in the prime of his career. All the pitchers are supposed to be in their prime, right? Robinson Cano has been brought here to win right now. Wilson Ramos was brought to win right now. Conforto's only going to be here for a few more years before he gets paid. How with a roster like that could a team that misses the playoffs have a good year? 
because what was the expectations going forget, through forget here? Forget that. What, I just what, cited but, the but roster. What, the, what, what was your, we have you, we go to the archives, okay. as you like to say. Yes. You thought this was going to be a train wreck. I think that was the exact word you used, a train wreck of a season. Okay. They won 86 games. So, because, so the bar is my expectations? But I think that was the expectations of most Mets fans. Yeah, but. They won 86 games. They, they. Exceeded our expectations. Okay, they exceeded my expectations. That wasn't the question. The question wasn't did did they exceed your expectations. The question was was this a good year? Yeah, You're yeah, thinking a veteran team because mostly they're a veteran team. I get McNeil's relatively young. Alonzo's a rookie. All that. Rosario, okay. JD Davis. Think okay, of all the I, guys. I didn't name veterans too. Then to counter that, Rosario, Degrom's in his 30s. I mean, where, where you want me to go? I, you think a non-playoff year is a good year for the Mets? For the I, Mets. I, <laughs> That's I, the I, I, but I think if a team wins, the, the situation the Mets were in with a lot of question marks they had going into the year, turns out an 86-win season that has to be classified as a decent, a good season. So it doesn't annoy you when people say this was the most fun non-playoff season a team could have? That's that, annoying. That's, that's annoying. annoying. It is It is annoying, but it's also they had you can't take away from what they did. They they brought us a you summer know, of baseball that we weren't expecting. You know, I think we were all glued in two o'clock on the West Coast, two o'clock in yeah, the morning. Okay. Texan, you can't take that away from the season and say season sucked because they didn't make the playoffs. Well, it, there's been worse seasons, of course. No one's saying that. If I'm grading on a curve, sure they did fantastic because the Met curve is garbage. But to not make the look, I know you don't like the Brooklyn Nets. You Phil's very jealous of the Brooklyn Nets. Last year, the Nets had a good year. Even though they were the sixth seed and they only won 42 games, you want to know why? Because they made the playoffs. There's also eight teams that make okay, the playoffs in basketball. they still made it, though. They still oh. gave me a week to, to, to fantasize about shoving it down Ben Simmons' throat. At least I got that. You can't, make, you can't miss the playoffs in baseball and say, yeah, it was a good year. No, it was an okay year. It was better than last year, sure. If that's the bar, yes, they had a better year than last. I'll agree with that. To your Nets point, yeah. them making the playoffs, yes, that made that a good year. Transition that to the Mets. If they were playing in that wild card game. And lost. You're going to still say it's a good season because yes, they played I, one I, extra I, game? I would, if they were playing in that wild card game, I would say, yes, it was a good season because to see where they came from uh, to make it to that wild card game? game, I will say, yeah, oh, I, I will. Okay, so this one I got to admit I'm very mixed about. I'm going to be honest because I look at the wild card game as not really a playoff exactly. game. Exactly. I totally agree with you. 2016 sucked, right? They're in the wild card game. They lost in their own building to Madison Bumgarner and Connor Gillespie. But you know what? That team was Suck. injury riddled. That, no, that staff it. was injury. Bro, I totally understand all of that. So it would be hypocritical, though, if I'm saying, yeah, it would have been great if they were in the wild card game. I guess I just would have enjoyed the opportunity, the shot at it, the shot at, you know, knocking off the Nationals or knocking off the Brewers. If they lost, I'd be wildly disappointed. But yeah, the season would feel very different. If they were in that game. I will take to my grave, by the way, that all of those teams vying for the two wild card spots, the Mets would be- are better than all of them. <laughs> they, ju- they just flat out, they dug themselves a hole, and they couldn't they couldn't I, rebound. I, I'm confident that if they play in that wild card game, Jake shutting them down. And in a short series, I'm taking my chances with that team, with how it's, hot they were and how fantasy. good they were. It's all a fantasy. Well, yeah, that's why we're here, though. We're here to, no. we're, we're here, we're here to <laughs> hope and dream. All right, fine. Uh, this one I did a whole podcast on, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But very quickly... The worst loss of this season was which one? Uh, for me, I'll go first. I got the July 18th versus the, the Giants. Because you look at a couple weeks before the trade they deadline. back-to-back brutal losses. The which one? one? The, the Dom one, Smith the, drop well, or the, the extra inning game? No, the one Alonzo hit the 16th. It's a home oh, run. Yes. And they, I think yes. Maza gives it up yes. right, right away. Yes. Um, for a couple reasons. Two weeks before the trade deadline, you know, and then the run they go on post that Giants series where they could have easily swept, let alone win three out of four. Yep. Um, and how things might have been different leading up to the deadline, maybe moves they make that uh, 
because the records and their standings a little bit different. So I think that looking back trickle down could have impacted the team in uh positive ways. That, I mean, listen, that was a brutal, brutal loss. First of all, the Mets had so many of those games that lasted forever. That was a 16 inning game. Alonzo appears did the game winning home run. You're stuck with Maza pitching a second inning because they used Diaz earlier, which by the way, I have no problem with. I like using my closer on on the road tie game because what am I saving him for? Use them before you lose them. Absolutely. What I think added to that is the next day they lost on a Dom Smith drop fly ball. Uh, I mean, fly, I, yeah, that just made it Drop worse. fly ball uh, and Ramos not covering the right, plate. Right, I don't uh, know where he's going. <laughs> and that was another Jake start. Seven scoreless innings. They give him no runs. That's I, I honestly one. don't know why Jacob DeGrom, like, hasn't, like, either rioted against everyone in the clubhouse, <laughs> in the whole city. Poor guy, man. You know what helps him? I'll be honest with you. I think if we lived in the old school world where wins mattered in winning the Cy Young and he was getting shut out of that, I think it would affect him a lot more. I think that a guy like that, and I don't think this is selfish on him to feel this way, I think does get to walk away feeling vindicated because he's going to win another Cy Young. So despite his team not winning, despite not getting wins, I think that he's being rewarded for how brilliant he is and it's not being hidden. Ten years ago, he wouldn't win the Cy Young, and I think that helps him. And you know what? That goes back to it's a disappointing season because we're sitting here wasting this guy, these, the best years of this guy. Like, do you know how hard it's going to be for him to come back and win a third Cy Young next year? We're sitting here wasting this guy's prime years. No, it's a fair point. I mean, you don't know how much you have left of him, as great as he is. Um, what was your worst loss? So I'm not going to take the low-hanging fruit of that six-run lead in the ninth inning against the Nationals. I'm going to go instead to another Jacob deGrom start. Uh, <laughs> Friday, August 23rd, I guess, I think, at home against Atlanta. They're wearing those atrocious white uniforms. Yep. Uh, you know, Jay- it was a bad one. I mean, it was oh, a yeah. good one it, to pick. It, it was bad. They, they wind up losing 2-1 in 14 innings. Mm-hmm. The one run, Jacob deGrom home run, of course. <laughs> and, you know, they left so many guys on base in that game. I think Michael Conforto came up in the 11th inning, I think, after – um, there was two wild pitches, I think, and he, they have a guy on third base with less than uh, less than two outs, and Conforto strikes out just to cap off a, a typical Jacob Degrom start. And the thing that made it the worst was they were coming off sweeping the Indians. They had a five game five game winning streak, and this was the start of their you know like time to prove it part of the schedule where they're going to face Atlanta and Chicago guys that, uh, teams that they're chasing. And this loss just kind of sent them into that late season kind of downward spiral where they lost six straight and yeah. it, it was just typical Mets loss, he, typical Jake loss. History is going to back you up. I think when you look at the most damaging loss of the season, this was probably it because of what it led to. They end up losing the next two games to Atlanta. They end up getting swept by Chicago and this was a very winnable game. I mean, it bases loaded two out in the 10th for Rosario. You talked about the opportunities they had. Uh, they had opportunities to win this game and this would have been another win the roll continues. They get to eight games above 500. So maybe not realizing it at the time kind of loss. Because I think it's one of those things you could look back on as we are now and say, look what it led to. My answer, and I, and I said this before, is I judge it based on my stomach, how much pain I feel. Mm, that's a good gauge. You like that gauge? Yeah. It's the two-day Cardinal debacle. Oh, man, oh. that was bad. Yeah. That was bad. I totally forgot. That I totally forgot, bad, about that. Yeah. I forgot that one. <laughs> well, you know why? Because that, that was part of the season that I chose to forget about that's before they got high. That's, that's why I forgot about point. it. And that's why you can argue against me on it and say, hey, they, they recovered from it because they went on the great run. They beat the Nationals on that insane Friday night win, Saturday win. They essentially tied the wild card spot after that. So you can, from an important standpoint, downgrade my game, downgrade Ryan's game, and Phil, you have the game that matters more. But – from a pain standpoint, I had to suffer for more than 24 hours. 
I mean, they, and you had Pete Alonso begging them to keep the game going when I don't know if he realizes if they stop the game, the Mets win. And then you had Edwin Diaz continuing. See, I hated that from Mickey. I was going to say, that's a, a Mickey move I, I would not back. Thank you. <laughs> oh, jeez. You know what my idea was that day? It was crazy. I wanted to start in the ninth inning. It was the ninth inning or the tenth inning, actually. Just starting pitching. You wanted to start Matt. I right? wanted to start Matt. That would have yep. been a, that been an outside-the-box brilliant move. Thank you. He's already wow. pitching that day. Thank you. What's, what was there, a 20, 30-minute gap between That's games? Right. That's right. It would have been a, a long a good offensive listener, inning. I, I always say... The Mets are the most scripted team in sports. You knew. You knew <laughs> that they were losing immediately. <laughs> to start yes, you you knew it. Oh, it's so true. Hey, by the way, October is here, one of my favorite months, and that means it's the NFL on CBS, and it's here, it's back, it's right in front of you. So stream your local game live every Sunday with CBS All Access. It's available across all your favorite devices. Simply go to cbs.com Evan to get a free one-week trial of CBS All Access. CBS.com slash Evan to get a free look at CBS All Access. All right. The best win of the year. Uh, You could argue this one's easy, but I'm curious where you go with it. Phil, I'll let you start. I'll give you a chance to talk into the microphone. Phil's a big fan of Mike Frances. getting to sit in Mike Frances' seat. He has his microphone in front of him. Uh, I'm going to take the easy one, that Friday night against Washington. Uh, where Todd Frazier hits the three-run home run in the ninth inning. They walk off in the ninth because going into that game, it was like right in the middle of their their real hot run. I think they were about a half game out of the second wild card going into that night. Yep. And that series just brought back, I mean, it did for me. I'm sure it did for you guys too. It brought back feelings of that 2015, like that same weekend series in August where right after they traded for Cespedes and then that kind of propelled them into their run in 2015. Kirk Neuenheit's big home run. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that series – kind of gave you that same feeling and you're like let's go we're gonna sweep the nationals again and then we're gonna we're gonna take off but um that mark stroman started that game he wasn't great typical met killers adam eaton trey turner juan soto anthony rendon they're all they put the mets down three nothing but in that in the in that fourth thing i think when the nationals took the lead that's when the Mets studs of their own entered right back alonzo and jd davis go back to back to tie the game and you're getting that positive vibe again you're like this oh, is yeah. it. this team is gonna go on a run but you know, in typical fa- in typical fashion, the bullpen blows it late. They go down. They don't go down big, and then Sean Doolittle. I mean, I don't know what the reason is, but <laughs> the Mets have this guy's number. It's crazy. And he comes in and just implodes. Todd Frazier hits the home run. A couple batters later, Michael Conforto walks it off, and that just that that was the start of a, something you felt good after that game. And they go on. I mean, they had a couple. They had a brutal loss a couple days later. But in that moment, you felt good, and you felt like they were going to go on a run. It's very tough to argue against that game yet. Ryan, you gave him a look when he picked that one. What, was it, it's not creative enough for you? No, because that was one of the ones I was going to say. Oh, well, you, you know what the thing it's is? It's like in the fantasy draft. Someone takes your guy oh. right before you go. You, look, you can say the same one. No, because... I got another one. All right, go ahead. So the one, I, the, the second one that was on my uh, my list was, I don't have the exact date, but it was in Pittsburgh. I think Stroman's first star as a Met, I think it was. They, yeah. They, they jumped down. You know, he let up three runs or whatever. That was, it was. a Saturday night in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and then that was a game. Ramos had like five RBIs or I think or had the yep, big yep, three yep, run home run late that. in the game. That was, looking back, that was the start of a good couple-week run where us as Met fans were probably on top of the world um, and got us back energized into the season. So, for me, looking back on the season, that was that was a game that sticks out as pumping us up. No, it's, it's actually a really underrated game, and it's a great call because what I remember specifically about that is they had lost the night before. 
and I think Steven Matz pitched awful, right? Didn't Matz kind of lose it in the third or fourth inning? Something like that. Typical. Very typical. And I remember the next day was the Yankee Fan Fest. And I hadn't seen Joe in a while, Beningo, because we hadn't been doing shows together. I was doing some shift. He was doing another shift. And I remember he was calm. And I was angry about that game. And he's like, well, you know, bro, we, we all played well, bro. I said, I don't. That loss feels like the game in which everything goes haywire. Like, that's the beginning of the end. And for them to bounce back the way they did. And like you said, the run just continues. And Strowman's putting 150 guys on base. And the Mets fought back. I agree with you. I think that was a very underrated game. It's not the best win of the year, but I think you picked a good one. A game that I certainly remember. To me, it's Friday, Saturday against Washington. In a way, Saturday was better than Friday because here's the thing about Friday. I had no intention of going to that game. I told my wife, I'm going to go to the Saturday game. That's it for the series. All right, I already sold the Friday game. I'm not going. She says, okay. Earlier that morning, I text her and I say, I changed my mind. I got to be at City Field tonight. I just, I don't know why I got to be there. They're, they're back in it. They're playing the Nationals. It's a Friday. Because I always tell her, I say, here's my one rule. On a Friday or Saturday, if I go to a Met game, I'm taking you. I won't go without you on a Friday, Saturday. So it's like a date night. It makes sense. I'm a very romantic guy. Phil knows nothing about this. Ryan gets it. He's been married for a million years. I said, you mind if I break the rule? Because I'm going to go. I can only get one ticket. She's like, no, nah, you know, I get it. You're excited. Go. And so... I was there. I didn't intend to be there. And Phil was right. It felt like 15 because, A, every seat was filled. The crowd was into every pitch like it was a World Series game. And then you get things that happened that make you think, holy crap, this is different. Whether it's quickly responding to being down three runs, whether it's Todd Frazier hitting a home run that he pulled out of his ass. I still can't believe that was real. That was as loud as City Field's going to get. When Todd hit that home run, and then quickly they win the game. No effing around. You know, no, hey, bullpen's going to pitch three innings. We're going to have all these opportunities to not score. They just promptly said enough's enough. Conforto gets his shirt ripped off. But then the next night, even though it wasn't as epic, Luis Guillaume is hitting a game-tying home run after Lugo gives it up to Seth to uh, Juan Soto. I almost fainted. I almost brilliant, fell out of my chair. Brilliant when I saw Mickey that. move. <laughs> well, no, here's where I'm going to give Mickey credit. I love that he let him pitch the ninth. After he had given up the run to, to Soto. Yeah, I mean, with Lugo, you, you had to. I mean, he's At that point, though, Ryan, it wasn't as obvious. That was a good move. Maybe, See, I'm giving maybe Mickey to credit. us, but I'm sure to Mickey knew. So that's oh, once. The inner stop. workings. The inner workings. Uh, stop he, trying to put him yeah. over as guy, much uh, as you are. grasping at straws for Mickey I mean, seriously. Given the guy a compliment, we could just go with that. But, yeah, I think the two-day period was awesome. And, and even though they had the winning streak against Cleveland, they never – recaptured that. Can I throw in a quick honorable mention? Of course. I'm going to say that last game of the year, it felt good to hit a little plateau of 10 Shut games up. over 500. Shut up. And t- it was a microcosm of the entire season. At the last game of the year, everyone wants to go home. That, that was true. It was a microcosm of the entire season. They take a lead. Bullpen blows in the ninth inning, of course. It's the last game of the year. Everyone wants to go home. They give up two runs in the 11th inning. Yes, right. They give up two runs in the 11th inning, and that's it. People... Everyone's thinking, that's it. Just ended already. Put me out of my misery for this year. Let me look forward to 2020. And Dom Smith comes up. Hasn't had a major league at bat in two months. <laughs> it was kind of amazing. And comes up, three-run home run. And it, it just showed you that there's there's a young nucleus there that's ready to win. They want to win. They're hungry. And there's something there to be worked with. Yeah. Look, it, it was pretty crazy. I'll admit that. I mean, it was a microcosm of the year. I'll give you that. It's cool for Dom. I'm very happy for Dom Smith. But, I mean, come on. They're out of it. 
The game didn't mean a freaking hill of beans. It felt nice. Okay, I'm glad you felt nice. A back massage feels my, nice. My fantasy team was probably not doing great that day, so that was the only thing I could oh, hang my hat on. football Sunday, yeah. Yeah, well, listen, I'm a Jet fan. They weren't doing very well that day. Actually, I'm trying to remember. Were they playing the, oh, they were playing the Monday night game. They actually weren't even playing that day. Uh, I don't know if this is as easy as it sounds. The 2019 Mets team MVP is who? I, I have Pete Alonzo. It is Pete Alonzo? Uh, I, I think take stats away and you know he gave us a rookie season for the ages whatever you want to say I just, I just think his demeanor his personality and his energy changed the way you look at at the, the offensive side of the team I mean for the first time in a long time you had a consistent threat at the plate and I think it just helped the flow of the lineup so I think you know you can't you can't take that away from him you agree with him uh yeah of course I mean how can you not agree with Pete Alonso or Jacob deGrom being MVP of this team but well, wait, wait, wait. Or so is it Degrom or is it Alonzo? I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna say it is Pete Alonzo because we haven't seen a personality like this in how many years? Like, I I firmly believe he's gonna be the next David Wright, or at least I hope to keep this guy here a long time, stays healthy. It's tough to ask him to hit 53 home runs every single year, but I think yeah. he'll be here for the long haul. And it's, it, it, he's a breath of fresh air. You know what's funny? The the answer is Pete Alonso. I'm not trying to be extra cute here. Um, and he should be. The guy played 161 games, which is very underrated. I mean, the guy played every single day. Even on off days we screamed about, he would usually get in the game. The guy had 53 home runs, drove in 120 runs. And he was oddly consistent. Now, his batting average may not be consistent. And he did go through batting slumps. But the home runs were actually pretty consistent. You know, he never went through very long home run slumps. I thought his defense was good. He was there all the time. And the Mets had a couple of guys who played a lot. Like Ahmed Rosario played all the time. Michael Conforto actually played all the time. Give him credit for that. And I think that was a worry about that. And the thing about Jake, it's not an anti-Jake thing. It's just that it's very difficult to give a starting pitcher an MVP award, especially when your team always loses when the guy's on the mound. Not his fault, but that's a part of it. The guy who I would have made an argument for, I would have, if he played more, was Jeff McNeil because of the fact that they could put him anywhere, and that matters. And to me, that adds a lot of points. Now, Alonzo had a better offensive year. I'm not going to sit here and argue that. Now, Pete – I'm sorry, McNeil added power late in the season. His average dipped a little bit. Dipped to 310. To 318, actually. But his OPS was the same. I find that fascinating. So, first half McNeil, huge batting average, not a lot of pop. Second half, McNeil, much lower batting average, a lot of pop. But overall, if you like to look at OPS, which I think is a great that, indicator. I think that's the best offensive marker that there is, I think. To- totally with you. Well, then, if you look at that, then he was basically the same. It really didn't change that much. In fact, let me give it to you. You ready? I'm ready. First half, Jeff McNeil. You ready? Okay. 349 batting average Pretty in the good. first half. Seven home runs, 36 RBIs, 917 OPS. Second half, Jeff McNeil. 276. So that's a drop of, I mean, 70 points, 60 points, whatever it is. 16 home runs. That's nine more home runs. 39 RBI, so almost the same. OPS, 914. First half, McNeil, 917. Same OPS. The difference was his on base went down, but his slugging went up. So which Jeff McNeil do you prefer? First half. I'll take a guy that could get on base, and especially in the lineup where he was sitting in the lineup. Hopefully, the guys he's going to have behind him for the next couple of years. I'd rather see the first half, the 349 hitter. You know, obviously, 349 is a, a dream. You know, anything over 310 is, uh, is good enough for me. Uh, I'd rather that guy then. We don't need another guy hitting home runs. 
What do you say? You agree with that? Uh, if he's going to be hitting at the top of the order, yeah, I prefer that. I prefer that 349 batting average or something like that because, like like Ryan mentioned, you have those boppers in the middle of the order. You need you want guys on base for him. I'll tell you something funny, and I know you can't do if you do this over a full season, but if you take what he did in the second half of the year, and he did miss time, and you compute it over a full season, he hits 45 home runs. I mean, I'll, I'll take I'm that just, also. I'm I'll take that also. I'm not saying he would actually do that. But that's what he was doing from a power perspective. He wasn't just hitting, oh, he's hitting a few home runs. He was pacing 45 home runs in the second half of the I, year. I think this upcoming year, they have to, teams, other teams have to learn that he's not going to see many first pitch yeah, fastballs. Yeah, you can't, get, I, don't, I don't know if they ultimately figured it out in like August, but there was, how many times did we see teams just groove this guy at fastball? No, you're right. High, high, middle in, and he just turns on Look, it. Look, I think it's going to be a challenge for both McNeil and Alonzo that there's going to be adjustments, but. Look, the MVP is Pete Alonso. If McNeil played more than 135 games, I would have argued him because of the position versatility. You could stick him at second. You could stick him at third. You could stick him in left. You could stick him in right. In fact, trivia question, what position did he play most? You watched every single game. Right field. I'm going to say right field, You're yeah. both saying right field? Yeah. That is incorrect. Wow. It was left field. Oh. Because at the beginning of the year, he was mostly playing left wow. field. Here's how the split ended up working. 61 in left, 39 in right, 34 at second, 24 at third. So the position he played the fewest amount of games at will probably be the position he ends yeah. up at. But I think that's that's a value to McNeil that added to him this year. Again, the MVP is Pete Alonso, but Jeff McNeil, major honorable mention. He had a hell of a season. It's just that he missed too much time for my liking. And another thing with Pete, too, he went through a couple slumps like to start the second half of the year, but the guy always had a knack for a big spot. He did, no, that's he, fair. He, 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 was having, he was going through some spells where he's striking out a lot and, you know, just – not really doing what we saw in the first half, but then come eighth, ninth inning, he's hitting a big-time home run or something like that to tie the game, put him ahead. So that just goes to your point is he's the MVP. Uh, the underrated performer of the year. I have Rosario. I mean, uh, tell me, at, I'm at Rosario going to the year. He's going to hit 280, 287, 17, uh, 15 home runs, 72 RBIs, and steal 19 bags. I think we all, we're all going to sign up for that. And I think he gets overshadowed by, obviously, Alonzo, McNeil, J.D. Davis, and the fact that he's hitting eighth a lot of the time. Um, but he put together, and then add on his defense, he put together a, an impressive year. I'm I'm gonna go with Michael Conforto, and uh, some people might say, how can a guy who hit 30 plus home runs, drove in 90 runs, how can he be underrated? Because if you look out in you know social media and things like that, there are people that can't wait to run, get this guy out of town to trade him away. It's not. Look, I can't speak for everybody. It's not run him out of town. It's that I don't think he's high ever lived. Uh, yeah, high expectations what, and the fact. Yeah. He hit two, 257, I believe. He had 33 home runs in a year in which everybody hit home runs, but he had a good OPS. We look at that, yeah. 856. And he played, which hey. I think is a really underrated stat. Games. Because you got to go out there yeah, and you got to play. Yeah, he paid 150 plus, I think, right? Yeah. He played. Yeah. And I think the issue with him is, though, is he streaky? Yes. Does he go in slumps? Yes. I think people expected him to be what Pete Alonso is right now. And I think now that we have to see that when you have a guy like Pete Alonso in the middle of the lineup, Michael Conforto can just fit in and be and do what we saw this year. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm going to take a guy who's hit, who's proved to hit. He can hit 30 plus home runs. He can drive in 90 plus runs. He has outfield versatility, right? He can play yep, all three positions. Right. I mean, I personally think he should not be a right fielder. In defensively, he shouldn't be a center fielder oh, either, though. He should, of course not. Okay. But we saw it early in his career. He came in and played in above average left field. Yeah, he he had a lot of outfield assists. Right. He doesn't really have any problems tracking balls in the outfield. My issue with him in right field is that he does he has a, he has an accurate arm, but he just doesn't 
have that much velocity on his throws. He he does his glove tap. He get, takes too takes too long to get rid of the ball. Sure. So I think as an okay right fielder, it's fine. But he can be an above average left fielder. But he pr- he provides that versatility in the outfield. And at the end of the day, I'm going to take a guy who hits 30 home runs, yeah, drives I, in 90, and like we said with that. He, he can average 800 to 850 he, OPS. I think the problem also with Conforto is we expect that he's going to be gone. That because he's a Boris guy and there's only a few more years of control, that he's just not long for this world. He's not going to be a Met five years from well, now. At some point, when do we when do we buck that trend? Well, they re-sign Jacob DeGrom. I mean, sometimes they do it. I'm the first to kill the Wilpons for their spending and letting guys walk away. But I also have to wonder about Michael Conforto. i got to be honest with you. I'm not sure I'm giving him $110 million, which is what he's going to ask for. So it's a debate for another day, but I'm not I'm not saying get rid of him. I'm just saying I'm not 100% sold. I was sold on paying Jacob DeGrom. Of course. Don't mess around. Of course. Don't mess around. Uh, I agree with Ryan. I think it's Ahmed Rosario. Again, what do I find important? Going out there and playing every day. And the guy went out there and played every day. And also think about this. If he didn't play every day, who would the shortstop have been? Oh, boy. I don't even want to think Danny about Echeveria that. And Danny would have still been here. And he would have been uh, playing. <laughs> he wouldn't have been a brave, unfortunately for him. But I thought Rosario was just so much better than what he was last year. He was better significantly. Obviously, the defense didn't pick up till the second half of the year. But he hit for a much higher batting average. He's still not walking a lot. But I think we just almost have to accept that he's not going to walk a lot. He's just not a guy who's going to walk a lot. But if he's not leading off hitting second, then it's not a big deal. You're right. I mean, if you're placing him down in the order, it's not that big of a deal. He showed a little bit of pop. I know that's tough to read because everybody showed pop. But the other thing he did on a team that doesn't do it is he stole a few bases. 19. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot. I mean, who had the, what guy had the next greatest amount of stolen bases? I don't think I worded that right. Who had the second most stolen bases on the team after Rosario at 19? Go ahead. I was like McNeil. You're going to go with McNeil? He had five. He finished third. I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with like Todd Frazier. Todd Frazier, he had one all season long. So, no. The answer was actually your team MVR, team underrated performer, Michael Conforto. He had seven. Okay. But think about that. 19 from Rosario, seven from Conforto, and then five from McNeil, and then four from Lagaris, Carlos Gomez, and Keon Broxton. Carlos Gomez. <laughs> and Keon Broxton, too. I would I would like to see a higher success rate though in stealing those bases. Fair because enough. He gets thrown out a lot. He gets Great a lot point. of bad jumps, yep. and I'd like to see him get better at that. That's a, you know who would help him? Carlos Beltran. <laughs> I'm not oh, suggesting. All right, now we're gonna get into this. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't say it that way. I just meant he was really good at picking his spots on yeah, the Well, running. that's that's what Jose Reyes was here for, right? A lot of good that did. <laughs> uh, most disappointing performer of this season. There's a lot of options here, but most disappointing. I'm gonna go one that. Disappointed me on many fronts, and that's Noah Syndergaard. Obviously, no. Really? I, he was my keeper in fantasy. Um, <laughs> we didn't get the job done. I mean, 10 and 8, winning record. So, but wins, like we said, yeah. don't really matter. But he's too good and talented to be pitching to a 4 2 ERA. He, he, he it can't be his ERA, and he can't let up, uh, I have the number written here, have 20 plus home runs. He He's. He can't be letting up 20 something home runs. He seemed to have lost his ability to put guys away, and that's that's concerning. Yeah. In a day and age where you see pitchers blowing the ball by guys with a strikeout numbers skyrocketing, this guy throws 99 and he can't miss bats. Mm. I mean, he strikes out his numbers. He gets his strikeouts, but it seems in a big spot he can't get he, that strikeout. This is why I think it's a really good question because there's a lot of guys. For an 86-win team, there's a lot of guys that you could answer this with. I mean, you literally can make a case – for five different guys. Oh, of course. And Syndergaard is, a, is an interesting He's answer. He's supposed to be the guy, the the 1B to the Grom. Totally understand. And he 
he's at best a three starter right I, now I, statistically. I totally get it. A four two eight ERA is unacceptable. The one compliment I'll give Noah again, this means a lot to me. Guy went out there and made every start and almost did two hundred. You could say that's pretty much for the whole rotation this year. I agree. For the yeah. first time, they the four aces made their starts. That's why eighty six wins is not a good year. You can't have that from all your starting pitchers because essentially, if you combine Vargas and Stroman, they made twenty nine starts. That's basically a full year. So you didn't have any starting pitcher miss that much time. I'll get time. to my honorable mention because it's going to back up my point here. Go ahead. The bullpen can have the second highest ERA in Mets history. That's why it was on the starting pitchers probably. Look. They made their starts, it, but the bullpen Ryan, couldn't close the deal. Ryan, and I apologize, Phil, if I'm stealing your guy. This is not a question. There's one answer. One answer. Well, I try to stay away from it's, the obvious. It's not Robinson Cano, as bad as he was. It's not Noah Syndergaard. It's not even Jairus Familia. It is Edwin Diaz. You don't make a trade like that. You don't make a trade like that for a guy who was ultra-dominant last year and say, well, he'll have a 5-6 ERA and blow a million games to where he loses the closer's job. If I told you that at the beginning of the season, if on our pre-podcast we did before the year, if I said to you, Diaz is going to lose the closer's job and pitch to a 5-6 ERA all of us would have thrown up right on the spot. Yep. I mean, it, considering I we were all said, screaming, he's a stud on that, I on that podcast. Said it's he was. Impossible. I'd be it's like, impossible. Yeah, I would be like, impossible. There's no way. I wouldn't believe it. Yeah, he's a guy. I mean, he, he is so far and away the guy. And there's so many numbers that make you think. He gave up 15 home runs this season. Oh, my God. And I feel like I remember every single one of them. <laughs> it it's, does feel uh, that way. It's funny. When there's you another look, guy, those 99, and the bo- they, batters turn, turn it around like it's, like it's nothing. It, they had to know it was coming. It, yeah, there's, there's no way. I've heard, I've heard Paul Duca make the point, too. And there has to be something. Even with Syndergaard, too, there has to be something in tipping pitches. There has to be. Because I distinctly remember in that six-run national ninth-inning game, uh. If you look at some of those pitches that he's thrown to Kurt Suzuki, they are nasty. Some of those, and Kurt Suzuki's just laying off of him, and he has no business laying off at him. By the way, not that, even offering at we, him. We all did everybody a favor by not saying that was the worst loss of the year. Oh, yeah, even it's, though it's on so easy. many level it was too easy. Yeah, I think that's why we all just ignored saying that. But I, I don't know if he's tipping his pitches. I don't know what the hell's going on. But when you make a trade like that and you give up a top prospect and you take on Robinson Cano's contract, because that was the Edwin Diaz trade. That was not the Robbie Cano trade. You can't get a performance like that. Cano sucking, you could have lived with. In fact, they did. It wasn't the end of the world. Diaz was the end of the world. Yeah, year one was not a success in that trade. And that was your guy? Who? Uh, Diaz? Yeah. I mean, if you want to take your pick between Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz. Oh, you were going to put Cano in there, too? Yeah, Jed Lowry, too. We don't even know what the hell the guy's injury was, and he was gone for seven months, <laughs> and, we're, and we wasted whatever, $10 million on him when we could use that elsewhere, especially now that we have – a what seems to be a plethora of guys who all play the same position. Yeah. Look, Cano was a disappointment. I don't want to downplay that he wasn't, and I don't know what to expect from him moving forward. I, I do think we we can expect to see better than because, number one, he just can't be as bad as he was. Sure. And when he came when he came back from the hand injury and you know, whatever other injuries he had, he, he seemed to – he can still swing it a little bit. I do expect to see better. How much better? I don't know, but I think it'll be better. D- does it – and I made this point to Joe on the air, and I'm going to make it to you guys concerning the 2019 Mets. Their bullpen was not as bad as the Nationals' bullpen. I, whenever somebody says that, I find it hard to believe. I'm like, how are there – we watch this, this team day in and day out. Did I was you like, watch the Nationals? I was like, how – Statistically, how are there worse bullpens than ours? I couldn't figure it out. Well, but. it's it's kind of easy to figure out. I mean, look who's in their bullpen. I mean, Sean Doolittle's numbers ended up being very lousy. He was good for a while, 
The Mets obviously did a number on him, but Tanner Rainey, Matt Grace, Wander Suero, oh, Fernando that Rodney. That guy stinks. Daniel Wanda Hudson's Suero. been great. He's the one guy they traded for him. He's been great. But if you look at the cavalcade of garbage that came out of the Nationals bullpen, it's not that difficult to imagine it. What's frustrating is that why are they in the playoffs? And, and here's the answer, and it's an uncomfortable answer, but it's the truth. They scored more runs than the Mets. And their big three was better than the Mets. I was going to say the fourteen eighteen record the Mets have in Degrom starts probably That's unacceptable. Probably, you have to have a winning record in his starts. It's not just that though. Corbin Scherzer Strasburg, their big three, went out and made every start. If you look at their combined numbers and you compare it to Noah Wheeler and Degrom, even with having Degrom, the Nats three are better. Yeah. So their That's top. That's why Syndergaard the... was my my guy. I think it's no no. I I think it's a fair point to bring up. But it's frustrating to look at the Nationals, who in a lot of ways have similarities to the Mets, right? They do. They're they're their mirror image. That they were better with their big three. They were better overall with their rotation, even though they missed Max for a while. And they scored more runs. Let's not forget that. They scored more runs. And they played better defense. If the Mets did those things better, like the Nationals, they could have overcome their bad bullpen and made the playoffs. That's the point. That's why looking at the Nationals, is it's... It's tough to look at them because they are the Mets. And I think of, well, the Mets would be using starting pitchers out of the bullpen, too. They, they, then again, you know, someone would have to tell Mickey that he should do that. He we know he's not that creative. Known. He would have known that. That, that <laughs> is something, though. If they would have made the playoffs, that bullpen would have gotten a lot better because you would have seen guys like Matt Stroman in the bullpen. So I've I'll had, say that. I've had a theory in baseball, and I've said this not just about the Mets, but in general, that what I would love to see in this new age of baseball is I'd have a six-man rotation. And on the third day for each starter, they'd be available out of the bullpen. Oh, yeah. With the, so with their quote-unquote bullpen day correct. would be used during the game. So if you do the math, right, let's say you go six-man rotation, there's 162 games. If you divide 162 by six, the number is 27. 27 starts. Let's say with your ace, occasionally you push him and you don't wait the sixth day. So maybe you get an extra start out of it, 29 starts, as opposed to 32 starts. Are you willing to give up three starts for a guy who's available out of the bullpen once a week? Yes. I would. Why not? Uh, pitchers are, are weird dudes. Yeah, They're used you, to a routine. Right, but you get them in this habit. Habits are meant to be created and changed. You yeah. just have to create it. If I if the new manager of the New York Mets, Evan Roberts, walks into the locker room. I can't do it. We should get that rumor going. <laughs> no. Mike Francesa. I can do it, okay? They've offered it to me. If I went into the room and said, Guys, this is what we're going to do. Jake, on the third day, you're going to come out of the bullpen. You want to close? Jake's like, nah, I'm good. Just put me in the middle of a high leverage situation. Guys will get used to it. Yeah, I mean, but the third day, their bullpen day is normally a nice, easy day in the bullpen. They're throwing 30 to 45 pitches. Now you're telling Jake, instead of that nice, easy day, work on your mechanics, work on your location, you're in the eighth inning of a 2-1 game. you got to get Rendon, Turner, and whoever else out. It's I, putting a more toll on their body right, and their arm. I'm giving them an extra day of rest. There's ah, a six-man rotation now, and that's I, a challenge. you got to find six guys. I totally get that. And the truth is, someone will probably get hurt, and you'll end up saying... Say, I think there's a lot more risk than reward with this setup okay, with, okay. with pitchers. Okay. Plus, I just think it's very difficult to build a bullpen. Interesting, but uh, I would be against it. The contracts these guys have now. It'll, the agents will lose their minds. Wait, what, the union they, will lose their minds. But wait a second, Phil. What, what are they losing instead of 32 starts to make a 27 start? And they're talk, getting those innings out of the bullpen. You'll, you'll start hearing stuff like, you know, stressful pitches, quote-unquote, and, you know, the tax on their body and their mental makeup, and, the, you know, they're just stressed out and they're but, okay. overworked, things the, like that. Look, 
it's fair that agents could complain about it. Would you agree that it is valuable for the Nationals, the Mets, whomever, that you would make that trade as a no, fan? of course. Saying, I'm giving away five starts, but I'm going to use you once every week and a half out of the bullpen. I think late in the season, it looks great. I think when you're putting Jacob DeGrom in his third off day in April. You don't like the it. The throw, I don't like it. Okay. All right, fair enough. Uh, lastly. Who should the New York Mets hire to be their manager? Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi. Period. Not. Stop. End of discussion. Girardi would be my first choice. It, we Obviously, we have no patience to deal with a rookie manager, so it has to be someone with experience. So we all agree with that? You have to go with a guy with experience? Yeah, otherwise, there was no point in getting rid okay. of yes. I'm with you on this. Yes, because, it, because it's time now that we've seen it with Mickey Callaway the last two years. It, there's always some kind of circus, LOL Mets, like, look at this stupid thing they're doing now. If you bring in a guy like Joe Girardi, Buck Showalter... Dusty Baker to a lesser degree. I'm not crazy about Dusty Baker. I want to but, talk about him in a second, by the way. But it brings, like, especially with Joe Girardi and Buck, it brings that CEO mentality of, like, listen, any extracurricular stuff that's going on in here that, you, that you, the meat— You're ahead. not concerned about why the Yankees got rid of Joe? No, uh, no I'm not. I'm okay. not because, frankly, I mean, this is just could be me being sour Mets fan not liking the Yankees. They say Joe wasn't brought back because, you know, guys in the locker room didn't like him, namely Gary Sanchez. I can kind of think that they, that could be like Joe Girardi, former catcher, getting in his ear be like, listen, man, quit being lazy back there, catch the ball. In, in fairness, here's what I've heard about this, and it's not disliking players or players disliking him, that they thought he was very uptight and that he was, like, he'd walk into a press conference after a loss with his veins popping out, which, by the way, I think Mets fans would appreciate but that it created. Yeah, because mine surely are. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we yeah. appreciate that. But he created an atmosphere where guys weren't loose. Aaron Boone clearly has. I mean, this. it'd be the complete opposite of Mickey Calloway. So we don't think Mickey was the right guy, the right fit, the right I, well, culture. I agree with you. We it, need. We. I want the complete opposite of what's been going on here the last <laughs> like five years. So that's guy. I listen. I want to. We all want Joe Girardi, and I've never seen Met fans universally agree on something the way they agree on this. Well, isn't it? It's too obvious that everyone wants him, so the Mets aren't going to do it. Right. No, I'm under that impression, I'm too. Contrary, I think that Brody, Brody's a smart guy, real smart guy, smarter, he smart, smarter than all of us. He knows what's going on. I think – I'm not going to go out and say they're definitely going to do it, but I, I think they, they're going to try and do everything possible. It's not gonna, I have a feeling it's not going to come down to the fact that it was them who said no at the end. You think Joe's going to say no? If, yeah, but if, Joe if he, could say no because the Mets, A, told him, we're picking your coaching staff, we're not paying you a lot of money. See, there could be reasons. That's the thing. I, Brody's smarter than that. You don't, think he, you don't think he knows that? He knows the fact that, listen, not only do the fa- are the fans clamoring for Joe Girardi, right, right. Brody has to know that Joe's a smart baseball guy, too, and he's going to want to come in and, and make Look, his own decision. I think Joe Girardi's the guy. I, I agree with you on that. Um, the exercise we're about to do is when the Mets ignore us. Dusty Baker is giving me headaches because Dusty Baker, as a regular season manager, is a Hall of Fame manager. He is. The Giants won 103 games, uh, 102 games. His first year as manager, they lost that year. They didn't make the playoffs with the Braves, that classic pennant race. He got the Giants to a World Series before they were winning World Series. He got the Cubs to an NLCS of three games to one, again, before they were actually winning World Series. He got the Cincinnati freaking Reds to the postseason and as a good team rather consistently. And he got the Nationals to 95-plus wins in back-to-back years. All that's true. All that's great. All that is an incredible resume. 
every one of those stops, he had epic playoff collapses. Whether it was the 0-2 World Series, let's hand the ball to Russ Ortiz. Whether it's the 3-1 lead with Chicago, Mark Pryor let his arm fall off, maybe ruining his career. Whether it's the Reds having a 2-0 lead with three games at home against the Giants, or it's the national debacles. That concerns me because... We could be sitting here a year from now saying, yeah, it was great we won 95 games, and then we choked in the division series. Is that fair what I just said no, about that's, Dusty? That's, that's, that's absolutely definitely fair. Definitely fair and warranted, but I, if they hire him and we're sitting here and having a conversation, 95 wins, but we choked in the playoffs, considering where we are today. That's I, not, no, no, that that's feels, what that feels you like say settling. now. That feels like settling. And it's also that's not settling. true. You guys weren't happy with an 86-win season. Now you're going to complain about a 95-win season and losing in the playoffs? What did you think after the Mets lost in 2015 in the World Series? Were you happy? Were you thrilled? Were you touching oh, yourself? No. How'd you oh, feel? No. The initial thought is, you know, you're pissed off. Oh, okay. But when you look back in January, you're like, oh, that was a hell of a season. You gotta win, a, gotta win a championship, man. Eventually, eventually. Well, is Dusty the guy eventually that's gonna win him a title? Do you think Dusty Baker exercises all of those demons by winning a World Series at the New York Mets? What, what, what is Dusty Baker even up to right now? I've, I haven't heard. Is he some? Was he? I mean, you know, is he, on, is he on TV somewhere? Is he like still involved anywhere? What's he don't doing? Know. Waiting for his has phone du- to ring. Has Dusty had a Jacob Degrom all these years? When the team Mark had? Pryor was tremendous back then. He was. I'll give you Pryor. I mean, that's, and, and he, he had Scherzer in Strasburg. Yeah, I was going to say, who's on that Well, Strasburg was on the interim limits, no? That was when he... No, that was pre-Dusty pre, okay. Baker. They've had a few managers over there. Okay. Matt so Williams. I was trying, yeah, I was I was trying to give him that the glorious Matt Williams, Williams years. <laughs> yeah. Look, the facts are this. Dusty's had collapses. But he's a good regular season manager. And Buck, you know, Buck hasn't had a lot of postseason collapses because he hasn't, you know, had a lot of postseason runs. He's been to one LCS in his career. Does that bother you? I don't want uh, No, I, I, I think Buck, Buck would be a good good thing. He's veteran guy, CEO, stoic type guy. And he's also, I think he's in tune with what's going on. And, like, knowing that, as Joe would say, the seat, seat of your pants managing, I think he's he knows that that's kind of on the way out. So he's more adaptive. Why, to, why don't you want I Buck? I would have took Buck two years ago when they hired Mickey. I don't think he was available at the time, but I think that's his role. He's good with on the fringe teams, rebuilding teams. I this team's obviously ready to contend. They're ready to win. Yeah, yeah he, I don't he, think he's the right fit for. He for had that those style. those young Baltimore teams with the young Machado and everything like that. He had, he had them fighting for division. Did he win a division title? I, I, he might have. Yeah, I think he I, did. I, he I had think they in, did yeah, win he a had division. He had him in the postseason for a few years in a row there. So I, I don't think he's, you know, the worst fit. Joe Girardi, I think, is the perfect fit. But Buck Buck would be a, a I, good gonna, consolation prize. I'm gonna name some other veterans because clearly that's what we all agree we want with this team. Um, Clint Hurdle. No. No. Why? Doesn't do anything. Had for success me. with the Rockies, had success with the Pirates, veteran manager. Yeah, Why? Out in the middle uh, of nowhere. Come to New York and it'll just be the same yeah, old, so same I'm old. Wow. About, I'm okay. not worried about him with New York. I just, his pirate, I don't know. I just something about him. Well, the, the locker room in Pittsburgh became yeah, a mess at the end. Oh, yeah. Guys are fighting each other. I always yeah. feel like Pittsburgh. Felipe Vasquez or Felipe Romero, whatever his Let's name is. Let's not talk about him. Yeah. Let's he's, wipe he's, him out of existence after what he's accused of. Yeah, exactly. Of. So that's. He can't. He, he's not controlling what's going okay. on in that locker room, so I'm, I'm, I'll pass. Mike Matheny. He's a Michigan boy, right? Yeah. That's the ties. That's the ties. That, well, it's not. I'm not naming him because he has ties no. to Michigan. I'm naming him because he's a veteran manager who's had some success. That's why I'm mentioning him. Yeah, I mean, Matheny, he went to – yeah, he had good success with the Cardinals. I'm not sure why. I don't really remember why he was I'll tell you it. why. You want to know? Yeah. All right. So here's the deal with what I remember and read recently about Mike Matheny, because I'm intrigued by Mike Matheny. He was there for seven years. They won a pennant with him in his second season, never won a championship, made the playoffs, uh, I guess it was four straight years. He 
I guess was very tough on his players and had Bud Norris serve as a rat to figure out what was going on with the younger players to enforce oh. some hard-ass rules. So in a lot of ways, he is the opposite of Mickey Calloway, too. I don't think he was really a player's manager. It appeared like he was a hard-ass kind of manager. you got to assume that's, he's going he's gonna to make an adjustment that's now he's on his second job. What what what? That sounds similar to what Terry Collins was like in his first stint, right? And Terry what, had two stints before he managed. Two, uh, he, he had that kind of same... He Same lost rap, the room, right? yeah. yeah. Well, here's the difference. Matheny's only been away from baseball for a year and a half, right? Because he got fired in the middle of last year. So he hasn't had oh, a man, long really? period that, away. Oh, man, that recent? It was that recent. Yeah, wow. Mike Schultz, the guy who replaced him. Um, so he hasn't been away for that long. And I think that we all have an issue judging the Cardinals because the Cardinals is such a well-run organization. They've had such consistent success since Tony La Russa took over. Even before that, they were good. They've been good for a while. That maybe we look at them and say, eh, how good are they? And I think that's a that's a fair question. I, I'll be the first to acknowledge yeah, it's fair. So Matheny's also the favorite from for the Royals job, right? That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, but I wouldn't think about stuff like that. Yeah. I'm just naming. Would you want Mike Matheny? Yeah, don't think I, about where they're being I attached would, to or anything. I, like that. I would be in favor for Matheny. I'm, so you're you're in Matheny. I'm partial to catcher managers. Mike Sosha? You want Mike Sosha? All right, that's I can I can stop partiality. Brad Osmus, you want him too? No, no. no not <laughs> oh, what happened to catcher managers? Well, I t- I didn't say all catcher managers. But uh, I, I tend to think a catcher has a mentality of, like, you kind of know what's going on every single pitch. You know, you, you get – yeah, you un, you have the pulse of the team. You kind of know right. what's going on, like, as a player. As, I'm sure as a player he controls the game basically with the pitching staff. And you kind of know what's going on everywhere, so that's why I'm partial to catcher managers. Girardi, I wouldn't have a problem with Matheny. All right, the uh, inexperienced managers. I know we don't want any of them, but who would be the number one in your power rankings of the non-experienced managers? Super Joe. Give me Joe McEwen back. I don't know. I just like him. That's really What's he, the third base coach for the Whites? So yeah, is that he, where he managed is, right? in AAA for them, too. Yeah, so he yeah. does have experience. He does, I guess, the experience. I mean, he's on a major league bench for a long time. He's a utility guy, so okay. a lot of those utility guys during their career – Craig Council are on the bench learning, sitting next to the managers, learning the strategic, what right. the managers and coaches are talking through the game. So I his probably has a wealth of knowledge that okay. could be used. That's fair. What about you? Did Luis Rojas manage in the minor leagues for the Mets? Uh, I don't know about that. I got to double check. Wait, I, does that change your I, view on him? Uh, was yeah, he, was he the would. guy in the video that it called would. up those guys? That was the, the famous viral video no, going that, around late in the year? You talking about Tony Bernazard? No, this year when they called uh, up. Oh, uh, no, that, that was Tony DiFrancesco, No, I think. no, that was somebody that different. Wasn't, all right, never mind. Uh, but uh, Luis Rojas is intriguing. He's got the bloodlines. Felipe Alou's he did. Let me, can I just give you the answer? Sure. He managed at Binghamton and St. Lucie and Savannah. So he has okay, managed yeah, in the minor and leagues. I, I also think he manages in the Dominican Winter League also. Okay. And I think he might have won there. And I'll put a little stock into that. I mean, made big league players go over there and play in the offseason. So that's that's something. Bloodlines. Yeah, like I say, he's got the Alou bloodline. So that's that's positive. He's been on the bench this whole season. Um, so, I mean, I guess he's up there. And I also, uh, I, I kind of like Joe Spada too. Oh he, boy. Was, he, he was Beningo on. would yell at you he, if he said he, that. I mean, do we need Joe Espada, bro? But, I mean, yeah, he he, you, asked me, you asked me about the <laughs> inexperienced yeah, guys. That's, that's what I got. But what about I mean, Beltron? You want Beltron? I, I would. I would take him. They, I, I would take I, him. I, I Not like my top that. list, but I would take him. I would take him. But they could mend the relationship a little bit. Yeah. David Cohn. 
No, no shot. I don't, I don't know enough about it. I don't know. He did you watch him sitting next to Michael Kay for 10 years? Okay, he's a broadcaster. He's a former Major League Baseball player. You act like he's never done anything. I feel like his name came out of nowhere. Like I, When I heard his name, I well, didn't like, expect it at all. No, it came because last year when the Yankees were interviewing everybody, Cohn said, hey, I'd love to interview for the Jackson. It's job. like so Mark DeRosso when he interviewed for the Mets out of is that, is that right. what? Uh, I, hey, Mets, Brody, I know you're listening. I would love to interview you're also. You're not David Cohn. I mean, well, you guys are just crapping all over David Cohn. The guy was a guy's a borderline Hall of Famer. I mean, how do we not? What mistakes is he gonna make? He's never been in the dugout Look, I, before. I, I am with you with not hiring a rookie manager. No, I'm totally saying that even with you there's that. better guys that are a spotter that's a bench coach, McEwen that's a coach, rather than take someone out of the booth that's never been in a dugout okay. before. Right. Fair enough. We all want Joe Girardi is the answer. Correct. And yeah. Joe Spot, another thing. Pretty, was he on Girardi's staff too when yes, they won a World his, Series? I think he was his bench coach or third base coach. I think it was third base, and he's third been base, on he's yeah. been on the bench in Houston where they're winning championships. So he's, I'd like to think he's got some kind of idea of. How to what about what running a team looks like? What about that crazy rumor about trading for AJ Hinch? Uh, who was that? Andy Martino put that out there because he's friends with Brody or something like that. Please, that's that couldn't be further from the Why truth. Why are you wasting everything. our time with this card? Exactly. I'm just saying, what would that, it's not going to happen? But what would a trade for? I never saw well, a trade remember, for in, in Luke, baseball yes, for, Luke Luke traded. for Randy right. Wynn. I remember what the, the, what player. Would the Mets have to give up. Uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, when Lou Pinello was available. I think they were asking the Mets for their top prospect, who at the time was, was it Reyes or Alex Escobar? One of the two of them. Obviously I think it was Reyes. Escobar. It may have been Escobar. Who they ended up trading for Roberto Alomar anyway. <laughs> this fun. Would you do Syndergaard for AJ Hinch? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I, dude, I wouldn't trade anything for a manager. No, and, exactly. And I mean that with respect to AJ Hinch. He's a fine manager, even though he's got loads and loads of talent. And if you told me, yeah, AJ Hinch has an out in his contract and he could just come here. Yeah, of course I'd hire him. He's got experience. He's one. Sure, let's go. But to trade for him, this is not trading for an NFL head coach. Like, if I was the Jets, I'd give up five first-round picks for Bill Belichick. Oh, yeah. like It was like that hot rumor when McAdoo was out. Be like, oh, my God, is Belichick considering the Giants? That was never yeah, a yeah, real that was rumor. never happening. <laughs> that was never real. But in the NFL, fine. In baseball, I am not trading for a manager. All right, anyhow, you guys did a fine job. I appreciate you coming in for our little season in review. Uh, coming up in a few weeks, we'll do a... Uh, off-season preview. Ryan has been very good at creating trades in the past, including John Neese for Neil Walker, which actually happened. I got to come up Keon with some. Boxing. I got I to keep pace. I have to come up with some. You're assuming you're being invited to yeah, this. Seriously, Phil. <laughs> I'll hope so. <laughs> I'm kidding. I got Neese and Keon Broxton. I'm, I got two. Yeah, that's no, oh, great. You, you, nailed, you nailed the Keon Broxton one. Wonderful. <laughs> Get Heyman on the line. Uh, I know you nailed one that really worked out well for this team. But we'll do a Mets uh, off-season preview coming up in a couple of weeks, a Yankee off-season preview as well. This has been the Mets season in review recap. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.